Welcome to the Building Resilience Podcast, where we learn all about building resilience in ourselves and helping others build it too. We draw from the principles of positive psychology, neuroscience, and coaching to help you face change and adversity and do more than just survive. We want you to thrive. We are your hosts, Heather Stables and Leah Davidson, and we are certified life coaches and speech language pathologists. We will help you manage your mind, your emotions, deal with your stress and your overwhelm, and become the very best version of yourself, version 2.0. Let's get started. This is the Building Resilience Podcast, episode 32, The Seven Keys to Resilience, with your hosts, Heather Stables and Leah Davidson. Hello, 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 Heather and everyone listening. Hi, Leah. How are you? I am actually having a horrible mom day. Mm -mm. (laughs) Is it no good, very bad, terrible? Are you moving to Australia? Terrible Mm -hmm. mom days. Yeah. And I know that a lot of people who listen can probably relate to a bad mom day. And I know everybody is a child who can relate to a bad mom day when their own moms had a bad mom day or their own parents had a bad mom day. But it's been one of those days where I think I just want to go back to bed. These days happen, don't they? They do. And you know, the good thing is we record this podcast a few weeks in advance. So by the time I listen to the podcast, it probably will have all blown over. Everything will be back to the humdrum because I'm just sitting in the negative 50 right now. Mm -hmm. I don't like it. Well, you'll be happy to know that we're talking about resilience today. The seven ways in which we can build resilience. Well, I need these ways, but I am going to tell you that Mm -hmm. this is not going to break me. I'm going to bend with this. That's Mm. what resilience is all about, is being able to go through that negative 50, go through those bad mom days and still be okay. You know, even though it's one of those bad mom days where it's probably a bad kid day too. But when I start reflecting back on, oh, I could have done this. I should have done this. I could have reflected on this. And I am going to practice some self-compassion today too and be Mm, like, yeah, you know what? There's probably things that I could have done better, but there's some things that I did okay in and the things I could have done better. I'm human. Yeah. Self-compassion is a beautiful thing. It is. And it goes so beautifully with resilience. And I'm excited to talk about resilience. We introduced it as a main concept. Obviously, it's something we're passionate about since the podcast is called Building Resilience. But we introduced the idea of resilience back in episode five. Let's just get a working definition of resilience. So we're all on the same page or the same ear since we're just listening. Resilience. It's the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties. It's toughness. It's the ability to bend and not break. You get the idea. And the definition that I prefer is the ability to persevere and adapt when life offers unexpected or unwanted adversities and challenges. Because adversity changes us. And we know that adversity doesn't discriminate. So it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when and how. How will you respond when it happens to you? How you respond, yes, is a choice speaks to your resilience. So why is resilience so important? One of the reasons is it's at the core of H&L Life Coaching. It's it's fundamental to the results you create in all areas of your life, work or school, health, that could be both physical and personal, and also relationships. And while you may feel resilient in some areas of your life, you might not feel resilient in others, and this is completely normal. Where do you fall on the resilience curve? And no judgment here. Helpless, hopeless, resilience, post-traumatic growth. 
it's a continuum and it's not fixed. It's fluid and it's not a quick fix either. Wherever you are right now is okay. Nothing's gone wrong. Let's just start with where you are without trying to fix it or change it. And today we're going to talk about what is called the resilience quotient or the RQ. I don't know if you have ever heard of it, but it is a 56 item test developed by Karen Reipik and Andrew Shaddy, who do tons of work on positive psychology. And they have created this test, which provides a current snapshot of one's resilience in seven distinct areas. And the areas are emotional regulation, impulse control, empathy, optimism, causal analysis, self-efficacy, and reaching out. And there's a rating system for each item that ranges from one to five. And one is not at all true. Two is sometimes or somewhat true. Three is moderately true. Four, usually true. Five, very true of me. Right. And what's interesting to note is that we can learn, practice, and improve all of these skills. And again, you'll likely have strengths in some areas and weaknesses in others, and that's normal. So let's go through each of these key skills. The first one is emotional regulation and resilience. (laughs) And this is ironic that I tell you I had a bad mom day because I could tell you I was a big fat zero on this one when it came to emotional regulation because the definition is this is about one's ability to stay calm under pressure rather than flying off the handle. (laughs) which I totally did this afternoon. (laughs) When your boss emails you a new task, when your kid says something to you that throws you for a loop. So it's about being able to stay calm. It's recognizing what you're thinking and how that affects how you feel when something happens to you, like when a client no-shows or when your spouse forgets to order the takeout or when your flight is delayed. So basically something happens, Mm -hmm. how do you react to it? What is your reaction? Okay, emotional dysregulation impacts on relationships. Uh, <laughs> That's me. That's Leah's me. putting up her hand. <laughs> Imagine someone in your life who expresses frequent or constant negativity, displeasure, judgment, complaints or criticisms, anger, sadness, resentment, or anxiety. Now, These thoughts and feelings are all legit if they're channeled in a healthy and constructive way. But what I'm referring to here is getting stuck in the emotion or reacting emotionally. So when you're held captive by an emotion, it's very difficult to cope by problem solving or contacting a coach or therapist to learn how to effectively process an emotion. Remember, a thought about a problem that arises is the source of any emotion. That's right. It's the thought that you have. So it's no surprise that controlling emotions and behaviors and focus is important in every area of your life, especially in relationships, at work, in your family, and for your own health and your own wellness. Okay, so number one was emotional regulation and resilience. Number two is impulse control and resilience. So this is strongly linked with number one. As you can see, emotions, impulse control, Resilient people take time to pause and consciously think about their response. They generate possible options and weigh them before actually responding. And the best example of this is my favorite study, the marshmallow study, as described in Dan Goldman's Emotional Intelligence, EQ. Seven-year-olds were offered a marshmallow just before the researcher left the room. But if they could wait for the researcher to return without having eaten the marshmallow, they'd get a second marshmallow. Leah, what would you do? I would wait. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'd be like, ooh, I get more later? <laughs> you have good impulse control. So it turns out that the children who waited, who controlled their impulses, who could delay gratification, were doing significantly better socially and academically 10 years later. Yeah, I love that experiment too, Heather. And if you haven't seen it, just Google it on YouTube because they have like some cute kids and you see like a couple of kids that are like licking it. And there's one sweet little girl. She doesn't pop the whole thing in her mouth. She takes these little bites, tiny little <laughs> bites. And then when the researcher comes back in the room, she's got this tiny little piece of marshmallows. <laughs> Yeah, that's my impulse. Anyhow, so it is amazing. So what does this look like, the marshmallows? And I frequently talk about this experiment. I've shared this experiment with my kids and with my clients all the time because it really is quite significant. So in our own life, what does this impulse control look like? Well, it looks like filtering out distractions in order for us to focus on the task, being aware of thoughts that you have about something that's happened. If somebody's upset with you, you listen to them without reacting. And this is the old adage of think before for speaking and bite your tongue. Don't put your foot in your mouth and all those things. And that's why I think it's so closely linked to number one, because often this is where, and that's exactly what happened to me today with my bad mom moment is speaking. I should have had that pause time. And had I given myself that pause, instead I reacted in a very impulsive way. Had I given myself that pause, then I could have regulated myself more and I could have had a better response. Yeah. So to close this out, so if you're high on emotional regulation, you're likely high on impulse control too. And the opposite is true too. So this is because our thoughts and belief systems create our feelings. And if we accept our first impulsive belief is true, when we encounter a problem, it'll show up in our actions. And this really hampers your resilience. Yeah. So the two are very closely tied together. So take a look at where you sit with both of them and you'll probably see they're both going to be similar. And I do think it's important to point out, like with everything, this is not trying to define who you are as a person. Like, so this is not, you know, I had a bad mom moment. I'm not saying that I am always somebody who does have no, you know, emotional dysregulation and poor impulse control. I think that we are affected by different things. You will have, because life is 50-50, there will be moments where you will have poor regulation and poor control. And there'll be other times where you'll have amazing regulation and amazing control. So let's not make it so black and white either, which we'll be talking about in future episodes, but just realize that there's going to be times where you fall flat on all of these and other times where you're going to be like a genius in all of these. And that's just nature. And it's so interesting because I did this RQ test last week with a client. And I just, I said right at the beginning, I'm like, this is not for judgmental purposes. You're not meant to judge your results. This is purely information and for insight. And just to see if you want to have a look at these areas, what that'll look like, But if not, that's fine too. It's totally up to you. Yeah. I did this quiz with two of our kids who are home now who are both teenagers. That was interesting because guess what? Teenagers Mm -hmm. are quite low in general on both of these. Mm -hmm. And that's also important for us to know that they're not necessarily doing something wrong. Their brain developmentally is not equipped to be great at regulation and impulse control. So that was interesting for me today when I have this bad mom moment. In the back of my mind, I also knew I'm not dealing with somebody who is able 
to have mm-hmm. this conversation brain-wise. They're just mm-hmm. not able. So also at different stages of your life, if you take this quiz, mm-hmm. even developmentally, you are going to change. And mm-hmm. as you learn more about yourself, as you learn more about your brain, maybe your personal development, the growth mindset, you're doing some work, you're getting some coaching, it likely will change as well. So, you know, it's not set in stone. Now, the third one is optimism and resilience. This looks like the belief that you are in the driver's seat of any situation in your life, even if it's not quite true. The belief that someone who overreacts is having a bad day. So they're not a bad person. It's not a whole character thing. They're just having a bad day. Yeah, and this reminds me of a time I accompanied my stepdad to a Tim Hortons drive-through and the woman taking his order was not impressed by his and a raindrop of cream description. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) It always makes me smile too. And you know, I can't even remember what bill denomination he gave her, but when we arrived at the window to pick up the coffee, he told her to keep the change. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. And I love that you talked about Tim Hortons because that truly shows how Canadian we are. Mm -hmm. And if you are from the U.S. or elsewhere listening, Tim Hortons is very popular in Canada. It's our local coffee donut place. So it's so cute. A raindrop of cream. Isn't that so sweet? Beautiful way of describing that. So resilient people are optimistic and it's an intentional lens. Like things can change for the better. There is hope for the future. You have more control in any situation than you think you do. And self-efficacy goes hand in hand with this mindset. That's the belief in the capability to manage problems and create a future. And accordingly, optimistic people are healthier, both physically and mentally, and achieve in sport, in school, and in work. Yeah. So you believe in your ability to handle any future problem with confidence. And this does not mean that you're delusional. So it's not like you stick your head in the sand or plug your ear saying, la, 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 ignoring the real threats that require preparation and attention is obviously not very smart to do. The rose colored glasses are removed in realistic optimism, especially when it's coupled with self-efficacy. Okay. So number four is causal analysis and resilience. And this looks like you think carefully about the cause of a problem before you try and solve it. For example, My dog is reactive on leash. You might ask, why is this happening? How am I contributing? Because it always starts with the owner. Is she picking up on my fearful or anxious energy? Is it because she was attacked as a pup? So you're asking questions, trying to figure out the cause of the problem. This also looks like generating multiple solutions when a problem arises. For example, my dog is reactive on leash. What can I do? Contact a dog walker or dog walking friends for guidance. I can do research. I can discuss this with the vet. I can pursue dog training. So you're trying to figure out solutions and you don't spend time thinking about what's not in your control. So that's the circumstance we refer to it as. For an example, I wish you hadn't barked at that dog. That owner's going to judge us. We have no control over that. Also, you trust in your abilities to identify the root cause of problems. So for example, she's fearful and avoidant on leash and that's what's happening. So resilient people have the ability to accurately identify the cause of the problem. So if this is a skill that you don't have, you'll continue repeating the same pattern over and over and over again. And we see this a lot in dating. If you have a broken picker, you will keep dating people who wound you in a similar way over and over and over again. That's right. And resilient people also have a causal explanatory style. Now this refers to the way you explain the good and the bad things that happen to you. Martin Seligman describes that there are three dimensions to this, the three P's, personalization, permanence, and pervasiveness. So in personalization, 
causation, basically what that means is when a problem arises, you believe that you are at fault. So for example, <laughs> it's my fault that my dog barks at the vacuum in the hallway. The second one is permanent. So when a problem arises, you believe the negative impact of it is going to last forever and it's never going to get any better. And the third P is pervasiveness. And that's basically when a problem arises, you believe that it affects all areas of your life. So like this entire day is terrible. This entire week is terrible. Your explanatory style is determined by how you interpret a negative event. So a negative event can be personal, permanent, and pervasive if you view it as such. Whatever you decide, your brain will look for evidence in the world to prove that that thought is true. It's my fault I burned the chicken. I always burn chicken. I'm terrible in the kitchen. However, this often leads then to hopelessness, helplessness, and general disempowerment. And I love that concept and I really want to hone in on it. Your brain will look for evidence in the world to prove whatever thought you offer it. That's kind of amazing. You can prove pretty much whatever you want to think. So then the question is, why are we choosing to think thoughts that don't serve us? Because our brain's going to head out and find evidence for it. Why not choose thoughts that will serve us and let our brain go crazy with finding evidence for those thoughts? And following adversity, resilient people recognize it isn't entirely their fault. It doesn't follow them around forever. And it doesn't generalize to all aspects of their life. And for this reason, they have the ability to think flexibly about problems rather than getting stuck in any explanation style. They're realistic about what they can and cannot control and then pour energy into problem solving around what they can control in order to use a difficult experience as an opportunity for learning and growth. Now, the fifth one is empathy and resilience. We'll give you some examples. This sounds like I get information about how someone's feeling by reading their facial expressions. I can imagine what someone's thinking and why they're thinking if they're sad or angry, embarrassed about something. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm mind reading, but I can imagine what they're thinking to help create those feelings of empathy for me. I can get wrapped up in the emotions of characters and books and movies. And which one, Heather? Which movie do you get wrapped up in? The Notebook. Oh, I know. Actually, <laughs> anything Nicholas Sparks, I get wrapped uh -huh. up in. Did you know that on Mother's Day, especially when my kids were younger, and it was basically just Zach and Josh who were always with us on Mother's Day because my stepkids are always their mom, but they have to do anything for me and we would always go for a nice walk. And then mm -hmm. I'd always make them watch the girliest movie ever. And so they are so well-versed in the Nicholas Sparks movies. <laughs> and the one movie called Knights in Rodanthe. Have you seen that one? On your recommendation, I did. Yeah. It takes place in the Outer Banks. And after I watched that movie, I turned to Rob and I said, we yeah, have to go, go to the Outer Banks. <laughs> it looks incredible. And so we went. I fell in love with the Outer Banks. And we've gone multiple times as a family renting a beach house. And I'll put it out there, my dream, which I am going to manifest and it is going to come true, is to own a beach house in the Outer Banks. Mm. So that's Nicholas Sparks. I totally get wrapped up in the emotions of movies and books. It's turned into reality for me. So resilient people are skilled at reading verbal cues, what someone's saying, and nonverbal cues, how they're saying it, by the way they use their facial expressions, their tone of voice, their body language. And that provides information about what someone's thinking and feeling. And this skill allows you to take someone's perspective or to see the world through their eyes and predict what their actions are based 
based on their thoughts and feelings. This serves people really well in any relational context, especially like in personal and professional ones. It really serves people well to have this skill. That brings us to number six, self-efficacy and resilience. Here's some examples. I'm someone who is open and curious to learning. I'm someone who likes to try new things. What other people, people think of me is not within my control. Any challenge is an opportunity to learn and grow. So resilient people are self-efficacious, or they believe they have the ability to be effective in the world. And this includes having the capacity to solve problems and respond to challenges effectively. Now, in the work setting, this could mean having self-belief, taking risks, overcoming obstacles, building self-confidence with every step, and this results in a positive career trajectory. Or it could mean having self-doubt, lacking self-belief, responding passively and ineffectively to obstacles, and this results in a stagnant career trajectory. having similar education and qualifications. That's right. And then the last one, number seven, is all about reaching out. So resilience involves more than working through challenges or adversities. It actually involves enhancing the quality of your life. And I love that about resilience. We're not just trying to deal with all the problems and the challenges. We're actually trying to make our life even better. And resilient people, they do this by reaching out to others. And this skill seems to come naturally for some, but it's difficult for others. And why is that? Well, to avoid a negative feeling. We all are doing everything based on our feelings. And reaching out takes a lot of vulnerability. And Brene Brown, she defines vulnerability. She is the queen of vulnerability. (laughs) I love Brene Brown. But she defines it as uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. Now, vulnerability takes courage. And neither one of those feelings feel great. And vulnerability requires overcoming fear, fear of emotional exposure and rejection, which our brain literally interprets as death. So fear of emotional exposure and judgment and fear of failure, fear of a worse outcome than you're already facing. So people who are resilient embrace these fears and reach out anyway. They accept that processing unwanted emotions is part of life and taking risks without expectations of an outcome is part of living a full life. So in a future podcast, we'll talk about the ways to build each of these skills to build your resilience in each of these seven areas. So that's what we have for you today. If you are interested, you could go find the Resilient Quotient. I think you can just Google it. I have the book and I did it from there. Is it available, Heather? It's tricky to find, but I think with uh, resilience, <laughs> you'll, you'll, be able to, you'll be able to find it on the internet too. That's perfect. All right, because we want to see how you do in all the different areas. And remember the areas are emotional regulation and resilience. The second area is impulse control. The third area is optimism. The fourth area is causal analysis. The fifth area is empathy. The sixth area is self-efficacy. And the seventh area is reaching out. So those are all different skills that when you put them all together, they help determine what your resilience is. And guess what? If you are working on all those areas, you are increasing your resilience. And that's what we want to do. We're not going to be able to fight adversity. We're not going to be able to run from it. But we can stand stronger and we can learn how to be more flexible when these challenges come. We can learn how to exercise self-compassion. We can learn so many things to help ourselves build resilience. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Building Resilience Podcast. 
If you are interested in a little bit of weekly motivation, want to be kept in the know about upcoming free classes and resources, new podcast episodes, and other ways of working with us, please go subscribe to our weekly email. You can subscribe at www.hl-lifecoaching.com forward slash newsletter. Again, that's www.hl-lifecoaching.com forward slash newsletter. We'll see you again soon.